You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to another Bo's Nose Show, and I'm your host, Westlane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Eugene, Oregon, as I'm doing my show from my office in downtown, because we just got out of a Homes for Good uh, board meeting, which, you know, that was previously um, the HACSA, as, as it was referred to all the time. Uh, the, it's basically the the HUD entity here in Lane County that's a housing authority uh, for uh, distributing uh, HUD funds and running HUD projects uh, that's required by the federal government. But it's actually the Board of Commissioners plus a couple lay uh, commissioners that are residents of some of the projects that are run under um, the Homes for Good umbrella. So that's why I'm downtown instead of out in beautiful downtown Elmira. And uh, we got a lot to talk about on the Bo's Nose Show. But I'll talk about anything you want to talk about if you call the show at 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get on the show again. That's 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and uh, that lets Robin know you want to talk. And we are... Uh, happy to have Robin here on the show and pleased that she survived her trip to urgent care last week uh, and uh, know she's on the mend and doing well because uh, we missed her last week as as Commissioner Bozovich was in control and out of control at the same time trying to run the run the board and, and do things by himself and and I heard, I understand from a listener that when I put the music on at the end of the show, it cut me off completely. So <laughs> you missed me basically saying good night and have a great week. Uh, so <laughs> but that's what happens when I don't have Robin to run things and keep things moving smoothly. So we're grateful that Robin's here this week. Uh, but we got lots to talk about. Uh, it's been, you know, kind of the uh, camping and courthouse show yesterday at the Board of Commissioners. Uh, and then it seems like we are uh, got all sorts of other stuff we talked about, too. Yeah, and yesterday was my birthday. And I don't know why, as the chair, I scheduled everything into the last day of the year. Well, it just kind of happens that way, usually. And it just happened to be my birthday. So I got to chair a marathon board meeting where we actually went into our lunch uh, period with the meeting and ended late in the day. And that was, you know, basically how I spent my birthday <laughs> in, in a board of commissioners meeting. But it's what I get paid to do. So we talked about a lot of stuff yesterday. And probably, the, you know, the one feel-good thing we did was we finally approved the parks master plan for our um, 69 or 68, sorry, 68 county parks uh, that we have and properties in our park system. And along with that, we approved the Howard Buford Recreational Area, also known as Mount Pisgah Park, um, Master Plan and Habitat Management Plan. And we wrapped those into our Rural Comprehensive Plan uh, land use document. Uh, so it kind of sits in the right place in our planning process. And uh, that was the culmination of lots of years of effort, a lot of um, uh, citizen input, you know, some missteps by staff at the start of the process um, where staff was just trying to react to uh, what at that time was a crisis in funding for our, for our park system and uh, led to the, the whole idea of, uh, of having concerts out at Mount Pisgah, which got everybody in an uproar. 
especially when they had the electronic dance um, music out there that that um, drowned out um, activities for miles around and and generated complaints all the way up the Mackenzie River. Uh, it was uh, not a good thing, and that started the whole process of getting the public involved. Um, a, a master plan got um, put out by staff, a draft master plan. It had no public input, no board input into it. We had to pull that back. And we sort of learned a lesson in this thing. And that is, um, if you're going to draft a major um, change or, or a new initiative, bring in some outside expertise that's kind of seen other people do it and involve local stakeholders. And that's kind of what we did there. We hired a, a firm called MIG to help us draft a new master plan, held all sorts of public hearings, formed a task uh, force that was 23 members of the public, some of them with really high levels of park expertise, um, you know, that were involved in retired Willamette Lane officials, uh, some, a retired city of Eugene official that had a lot of park and planning experience. Um, and just lay citizens that were uh, park stakeholders and park users and, and uh, representatives of different uh, geographic regions of the county. And we held public meetings and, you know, got all that, that local input tempered by a national consulting firm that has expertise in, in park system management and developed a master plan um, that should help us, you know, run our parks for years to come. And uh, it was such a great outcome from initially when people were all mad and upset about our parts way back in, in about 2013 uh, to today. And, you know, five years later, when we actually took the vote and passed it, the uh, supporters for it that were there for the public hearing broke out a big cheer and had um, like squeaky toys and um yeah, little horns and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, it was kind of funny. It kind of sort of sounded like um, uh, a cross between a, a a dog play day daycare center, a doggy daycare center, and New Year's Eve out there in the audience, <laughs> and, and uh, a standing ovation, and all that stuff. And that was kind of the feel good thing. And that was kind of you know sort of had camping involved in it because you know I told you we we're going to talk about camping in courthouses on the Bose Nose show today. And and that involves all of our um, recreational campgrounds that the county runs and some really popular ones, Richardson Campground out there at Fern Ridge Reservoir to uh, Armitage up there on the McKenzie to Harbor Vista Campground in Florence there uh, right at the mouth of the Sayuslaw and, and at the North Jetty practically there on, on the Pacific Ocean. Um, so, you know, we have all these you know, campgrounds that we run through our park system. So we got to talk a little bit about legal parking in, in the recreational sense there by passing that park's master plan. And then uh, later in the day, we got to talk about some other legal camping because uh, we had our uh, hearing on a potential change to some lane code that would have um, set up a new permitting system for um uh, gatherings uh, and it would have you know right now we have a, a permitting system for gatherings of 1,000 people or more and over a certain duration of time uh, and that this was going to uh, amend that section to bring the uh, the size of the gathering needing a permit down to 100 or more if it lasted more than 48 hours um, you can, you know, if you get over a thousand, doesn't have to be forty. It can just be a short. Uh, you know, the the larger the number of people, the the less duration it takes to need a permit. And this was a way of kind of saying, well, under a thousand, between a hundred and a thousand, if your event's going to be longer than forty-eight hours, we're going to need a um, some kind of permitting for it. And what that kind of captured is a lot of the off-site campgrounds that get set up around the country fair because the country fair lasts four days and a lot of these campgrounds actually allow people to stay there five to six days they hit that 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 limit that 100 person limit in fact there's a couple of the campgrounds that get past a thousand anyway and probably should have been getting um gathering permits from the county separate from a campground permit 
but we held a public hearing for those for that change obviously uh, and i made an effort um to to notify all the um, campground owners in that area of, of the potential change a couple weeks ago so they were all there in attendance um and weren't really happy about having to go through a new process and kind of felt like there should be more public um, process, more public notice, and, and we're just generally um, concerned. So well, the, the board ultimately approved um, holding another hearing in January on the same subject. Uh, but it is a kind of a necessity because we're not so sure we legally are permitting those campgrounds right now. We're issuing a temporary campground permit through our building um, department and uh, kind of on semi-shaky ground sort of on, on our legality of issuing those permits, um, which should be of interest to the folks that own those campgrounds that they're having to get a permit we may not currently have authority to issue. And also for the neighbors that have been having problems with those campgrounds that we're issuing these permits and may not really legally have the ability to issue them as we currently are. So this was kind of a fix to that, to where it would place them into this gathering category and it would catch other things too. I mean, if there's, you know, any, um, you know, temporary camping around an event that's more than a hundred people and more than two days long, they would also have to get this permit. So it's not, specifically targeted at the Oregon Country Fair off-site campgrounds, but it does bring almost all of those into that um, need to revise their permit under this new new uh, regulation. And probably the biggest thing about the new regulation is it requires a few things like a traffic management plan, which we've been having a lot of issues about traffic on move-in day for the campgrounds on Subtle Road, where most of the campgrounds are located and also about noise um, control in the evenings and having a little bit more teeth than our current noise uh, nuisance code on around noise has um, it would actually you know require you know make the the campgrounds ability to get a new permit you know on their you know depending on their past performance on controlling noise in some ways you know have some a little bit more teeth around that um, in the way of violating the no noise code uh, and more easily enforceable, which has been those are the two largest complaints um, we've been getting about the campgrounds um, from neighbors and residents in the area of the country fair is the uh, blocking of traffic on on Thursday when everybody's moving on to the campgrounds and the um, nighttime noise, um, late late night noise that that travels pretty far because some of the some of the complaints have been um, over a mile away from some of these campgrounds and uh, we kind of had had a little bit of a discussion about that and uh, decided to you know give everybody more time to carefully look over the um, the ordinance and organize um, and, you know, one of the things we didn't hear from any of the residents have had problems with the campgrounds because, you know, we didn't really reach out to those folks. We reached out to the folks who were going to be subject to the new permitting. So we may see a different crowd when we take this back up in late January um, for another public hearing, continued, continued public hearing on the subject. But, again, that was legal camping because we have been permitting it. Um, so again, you know, some more camping, but on the legal sort. And then we kind of had some updates on uh, Camp 99. In fact, we also had a lot of public testimony before we even got started with the board meeting. We always take public testimony at the beginning of the meeting. And we had about a half hour and 10 people um, that came in and specifically addressed um, uh, Camp 99 and the issue of conversion of that camp to something more permanent and um, some desires that, that they have around, um, you know, making sure that our county administrator had authority to continue to um, work with innovative solutions around the whole um, Camp 99 and the homeless situation, all that. And one of the things I let the public know was um, our county administrator um, is delegated authority um, to manage the county 
anyway from the Board of Commissioners, that he's our person we hire to do that. We actually don't directly manage that process. He just has to come back to us if he wants to spend more than $100,000 or more on any one particular effort or item. You know, we have, he can't, um, you know, the, the authority to spend money is, is still vested in the board, and we've only delegated that authority to him up to $100,000. But you can do an awful lot under $100,000. They were just concerned that during the winter break, and we take the shortest winter break of of most local boards around here. Um, you know, we we uh, you know we met this week, and a lot of them don't. Some of them don't even meet in December at all. Um, and we'll be back uh, in our regular meetings on January 8th is our first regular board meeting. We'll actually be having the state of the county on January 7th. Um, and I'll, you know, you know, the, the board is never completely gone as chair. I'll be in contact with the administrator over the holidays. If there's any need to call an emergency board meeting, we, we still have that ability. So, um, that concern, you know, wasn't really there, but it does look like we're moving towards some, um, more, um, structured, uh, changes out for Camp 99 and a slow transition over the next uh, several weeks of moving folks into those more structured situations that the city of Eugene had to call an emergency meeting on Monday night to approve because they weren't going to be meeting this week. Like I said, we take the shortest break of any of the organization uh, governments around here, um, partly because we just have a whole lot we deal with. And it's difficult for us to, to be gone for more than two weeks at a time, which that's all we're done down is, is Christmas week and New Year's week. We talked a little bit about illegal camping and maybe some of the solutions to that. That's going to continue morphing. And it kind of gets back to that um, parks master plan situation. We have hired with the city of Eugene a nationally recognized expert, the technology. Technical Advisory Collaborative. I always get the, the, the TAC, TAC, they call themselves, um, the initials. Uh, so that's, it's Technical Advisory Collaborative. They are going, they've mapped out our, um, all of our programs and various systems that support the homeless here in Lane County. In fact, they are actually late with their draft report because we have so many different systems and such a large amount of system here for a community of our size that they underestimated how long it would take to do that mapping and then doing some uh, analysis of that. And one of the things they've done is take a look at our system and look for gaps and ways we could ultimately get to where we're having enough um, capacity that we don't have people that are unsheltered. They might be unhoused, but at least we'll have them in temporary shelter, shelter as defined by HUD, which means um, rest stops and um, mash tents don't qualify as shelter. You know, if you're not in a building with a roof and heated space, um, that's not shelter. If you're still in a tent of some kind, car camping is not considered sheltered under HUD's definitions. So, um, they, they actually looked at what would it take to get us to having the ability to shelter the approximately 1,000 unsheltered single adults in our community. And they chose to look at that particular segment because um, we're doing pretty well with, with families um, and uh, some of the other uh, elements of the, of the unhoused community right now. And they, their initial recommendations were that we needed a 50 to 75 bed uh, emergency shelter, low barrier emergency shelter, and about 300 additional permanent supportive housing units in this community. And uh, which is pretty interesting because that's, and, and, and then some changes in how we move people through the system. Because one of the things they noted was people get stuck in our system they get into some kind of temporary housing situation and they've not, there's not a good way to move them into the next phase and ultimately get them into permanent housing. And they have some recommendations around how to move people through the system. So they don't 
end up stuck in one piece of it. And, and that opens capacity for the front door to get more people into that temporary situation and moves them on, you know, gets people into the permanent. Basically, they said if we follow their recommendations within, you know, once we get all that capacity in place within a couple of years, we could be down to zero people considered unsheltered in Lane County. And uh, so that's that's the long game. And that's kind of the balance about this. And, and, and some of what comes up is, you know, everyone's wanting us to add all these th features to some of these uh, rest stops and dawn to dusk and dawn to dawn um, temporary shelter situations that aren't even considered shelter by HUD. They want us to add nurses and counselors and other capacity to them. And all those resources to do the temporary work is taking away from our resources to get to this permanent solution that we went out and brought in national expertise and had them interview all of our local stakeholders from, uh, you know, shelter care to looking glass to uh, St. Vincent de Paul, uh, all the agencies and everything. They went and, and talked to everyone in the system and, and got a, a really strong understanding and then and with their national expertise of looking at systems all over the country have brought this set of recommendations to us the final report is going to be out to the board of commissioners before the end of the year and we're holding a meeting uh with joint meeting with the city of eugene on january 22nd to uh have the presentation from the consultants and then discuss the report and start talking about how do we start executing the actions that are recommended in the report. And that's sort of the balance is, you know, how do we get to those final solutions that move people out of homelessness and into permanent uh, solutions and deal with the issues that they have like addiction and, and mental illness and physical uh, illnesses, um, low skills and everything else that's caused them to end up homeless while still also putting enough resources and compassion into the, some of the temporary stuff that prevents people from dying until we can get the permanent stuff done. So it's a real balance and, and a real concern, but yeah, that took up part of the meeting um, yesterday. So talked a lot about camping, whether it was our recreational camps in our parks master plan, or whether it was the temporary campgrounds that get set up around the Oregon Country Fair, or whether it's the campgrounds um, that we're trying to, to manage and run to prevent the illegal camping uh, across the, uh, uh, the area uh, by setting up an alternative to the illegal camping. We talked a lot about camping yesterday at the Board of Commissioners meeting. And if you wanna talk about camping or anything else that's on your mind, you can give me a call here at 646-721-9887 and just press one. That lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887 and just press one. So switching gears a little bit, we'll get to the second part of camping and courthouses, and we'll talk about the courthouse a little bit. So once again, um, Lane County has been looking at our courthouse replacement, and frankly, this predates Jay uh, on the board. Uh, we've known that our uh, late 1950s courthouse um, has has been undersized and, um, you know, it, aging, old, uh, uh, not built for modern court systems, uh, not seismically uh, sound. That's been known for a while. In fact, there was a study done before I was ever on the board about could we reconstruct in that existing building or should we replace? And the study went through those two alternatives uh, basically and said there's no way we can reconstruct and maintain a court functioning court system while doing the reconstruction, partly because in order to get that building to be seismically sound, um, we have to strip it down to the structural elements because it's the connectors between the beams and the girders on the floor that would fail during a seismic event and they need to be fixed. So that's really, you know, where we um, 
end up with this this issue of you know how do you keep the courts running when you got to strip the building down <laughs> to to its structural elements you know it's it's worth doing that to rehab the building ultimately and have something to do there but we'll uh you know it was it was not a possibility to try and replace and keep the courts there not to mention it's just too small for the long-term view of our courts and where we were population and number of cases filed in 1959 when they opened that courthouse to where we are today is vastly different. We were a, a county of 160,000 people in 1959. We're now at 370,000 people plus, and we'll be well beyond that in the 40 to 100 year lifespan of this new courthouse. Um, and that's just, you know, part of what's going on. We brought in national experts basically to look at what is the size of a facility we need. I see we've got somebody that has wants to get in on the conversation here on the Bo's Nose Show. So we're going to bring Chris on the line here. Chris, what do you want to talk about on the Bo's Nose Show today? Hey, Jay, this is Chris McAllister. Uh, I saw you talking about some chanting and figured I'd call in and uh, uh, share a couple thoughts about it, given that one of the ideas you're talking about is one that we presented a while ago, and I'm uh, really excited to see that it's on your guys' agenda. Oh, well, great, Chris. And, and for folks that don't know, uh, Chris McAllister is one of our members of our Poverty and Homeless, Homelessness Board, and he's also formerly homeless, and his, his insights have been um, instrumental into some of the policy decisions we've made and really informative to um, the, poli- the Poverty and Homelessness Board and also the Board of Commissioners. So what, what you got, Chris? You. What do you want to talk about specifically? Well, thank, you. thank you for that. I, uh, I just wanted to share, because there's been a lot of concerns about people opening up our parks. People go, well... They're going to take over. They're just going to be exhausted. We won't want to go to any of these parks anymore. And I just wanted to maybe throw out some considerations that were made while we were looking at where should we put some of our people who are less fortunate, who don't really have a safe place to go. And so one of them was we were looking at parks that were closed during the winter. Winter is a rough time for everybody, but we also don't have, like, a lot of people coming and going. We're very aware that people have economic and tourist needs, as well as the need to survive. And so we have to juggle that as a community. And so we looked at some parks like Richardson that were that were closed right now. They already had, like, a on-site host, and they were really interested in, like, just uh, keeping low-key, trying maybe how people have dignity when they're trying to sort out their living situations. And so we looked at offering half of capacity at most so if a camp has 88 spots, we didn't want any idea to be more than half of what they could. And frankly, groups of 6 to 10 is really more ideal because you can reach a community level of involvement and you can share workloads and you can, you can kind of manage and help people through. Because none of these are outcomes, these are journeys, stops along the way to housing, to some of those bigger projects like the Fuse project and the MLK uh, projects, things like that. Yeah, and, and it's it's an interesting proposal and one we're, we're taking a look at. Uh, one of the interesting pieces about why some of those campgrounds close in the wintertime may be that some of the systems in them don't function well in the wintertime, uh, you know, some of the water and sewer systems. So we'll, we're, we're, we're having our parks and public works folks look into that, and it may be an option because it really is um, – the folks particularly that have a car or an RV still available to themselves, that's the last large asset they're hanging on to at coming out of, you know, becoming homeless. And losing that asset through impoundment because they were parked illegally somewhere is mm-hmm. like the final step to somebody, you know, sleeping under a tarp under a bridge. And that's, you know, it, it really limits the options for those folks a lot of times. It limits their ability to uh, stay gainfully employed and it also takes away the one last big asset they own and 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 usually a little bit safer uh, camping situation. You know, you can lock the doors of your car while you're sleeping in it at night. You can't lock your tent zipper, you know. 
So, so okay. particularly for women and families, um, that's a lot safer situation. So finding a way for folks that have a vehicle to have a safe harbor parking in a in a, in a um, county park or even if it's a county uh, parking lot, um, we're looking for those opportunities. We do have, um, I know, at least 10 spaces in our behavioral health building that we provide um, overnight parking, uh, safe harbor parking mm-hmm. there. Um, and we're, we're looking to expand that. So I appreciate you bringing okay. that to us. And, and we also have um, St. Vincent de Paul has an overnight camping program that's el- available to uh, churches and uh, commercial properties. And even some residences in some areas can qualify to host somebody that's, that's camping in a vehicle. Uh, and that's uh, and in some, some cases Conestoga huts uh, for churches and and commercial properties, but um, that's still available out there. And there's actually um, we expanded that to the urban growth boundaries of Eugene, uh, some of the unincorporated areas, and we've only had uh, we budgeted for ten sites, and I think we've only had two of them utilized. So there's you know if you're you're in those areas and you're one of those organizations, we're looking for the private sector to get involved too. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much for that. I just wanted to reiterate before I give you back the rest of your show that uh, sometimes these car campers, these RVs, it's their either first step off the street out of the tents or it is their last vestige of being housed because a lot of our seniors are the ones who wind up in our RVs. They think that their apartment's going to be sound, they they retire, then their rents go up and they have nowhere else to go. So they invest in an RV and then they find out there's no place for them to park. Those are the people in our community that have no future in this community if we can't find a safe place for them to be. And so I thank you for your work and for your interest in helping our unhoused engagement. And I look forward to seeing what the next year will bring. Hope you and yours have a great holiday, sir. All right. Thank you very much, Chris. You have a, a very merry Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. So that was Chris McAllister with our uh, Poverty and Homelessness Board, uh, speaking from experience. Uh, you know, he's been on that side and managed to to pull his way out of it. Um, and he's a I've had a few conversations with him. Um, you know, I. I we have this thing at the Association of Oregon Counties where we talk about if you've seen one county, you've seen one county. You know, as I've gotten to know more and more about homelessness, if you've met one homeless person, you've met one homeless person. Every one of them has a different, complete, uh, different story of how they ended up homeless, what their issues are so individualized that, it, you know, I, I cringe every time somebody makes a really broad generalization about homeless people because it is such a spectrum out there from kids that, that came out of the foster care system and aged out of it to where they really there's the transition for an 18 year old that suddenly loses uh, foster uh, housing in the foster uh, housing system. With, you know, without a lot of support and skills because they've been bounced around from house to house because their parents, you know, might have had some drug issues or been in, sentenced to prison or something like that. You know, that, that's not just somebody that, that decided to be homeless, you know, and it was a choice. Like some people like to try and, and say that, you know, that, that these people just made bad choices. You know, how, how can you talk about somebody that ages out of the foster system as having made a choice about that. They didn't make a choice to be in the foster system in the first place. So um, really appreciate Chris. He's helped me learn a little bit more about how um, each situation for a homeless person is different. You know, right down to where, you know, some of the folks on the street are developmentally disabled that have slipped through the system that we have that supports the developmentally disabled. And they just end up on the street and uh, get grouped in with, you know, everybody, and in fact, end up quite often sometimes victims of predators because of their developmental disabilities. So it's um, don't don't generalize when it comes to that. 
So thank you for the call, Chris. And I'm going to try and jump back into the courthouse. But once again, I'll remind you, just like Chris, you can control the topic on the Bose News Show just by calling 646-721-9887. Just press 1. Let's let me know you want to get on the conversation. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press 1. So um, with that, we'll go back to the courthouse here. And I was trying to, to make the point that similar to the Parks Master Plan, where we um, you know, got that, that expert consultant uh, and then brought in local stakeholders, did the same thing with this homeless issue where we brought in uh, a, a national experts and interviewed local stakeholders. We brought in um, a national court expertise that looked over our uh, caseloads and population trends and case trends and everything and did a study of what we would need in a future courthouse and came up with some um, space needs. And then we brought in the second set of experts that are design experts in court systems called DLR architects, where they've designed and built hundreds of courthouses across the country who built on that um, space needs study and developed uh, the actual square footage needs, uh, everything from, you know, allowing for public restrooms and hallways and closets to store stuff and all that stuff and fleshed out that total space need, then took a look at fitting what those space needs were onto uh, the uh, block that is the uh, former Eugene City Hall that we have now are finalizing our purchase of with the city. In fact, we authorized that yesterday during our board meeting for our um, administrator to sign the, the final closing documents with the city as the last pieces of that were uh, put to rest when the uh, appeal period ran out on the quiet title action that we, we took to clear the title up on the butterfly lot. Um, so um, we brought in this national expert. He interviewed the local stakeholders from the all the uh, district court judges that are currently active, uh, the DA and DA staff, the sheriff and some of his staff, parole and probation folks, the, the public defenders, uh, the folks from the Bar Association that utilize the courthouse, um, just all the local stakeholders that would be involved in that courthouse. And they came up with um, a, you know, what they call a blocking diagram, basically. It's like a Lego set of, of sort of building version of uh, a courthouse on that actual site and then they could knowing that the exact site and everything could do all the costs involved in in constructing that 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 size building on in that configuration on that lot um, and allowing for all the project costs which include things like engineering the architecture permit fees system development charges all that stuff uh, you know, is really, you know, where where uh, we we got into everything we need in that courthouse. So with that, they came up with a big number, and the big number was a pretty good sized number. But you know, it it is what it is, and and um, it was what I sort of expected, which is basically that. Uh, it looks like that courthouse is going to cost approximately $250 million, but it's going to be almost 300,000 square feet. Uh, and it's going to be a, you know, a, a building that will serve the people of Lane County for the next hundred years. And it will provide an access to justice that our current building just does not do. Everything from the fact that you can't really easily serve on a jury if you're in a wheelchair in, in our current courthouse to um, the fact that you're, um, as the accused, you may um, actually influence a jury by accidentally being seen in shackles being led across from one side of the courthouse to the other through public areas because we have no real separation 
in the movement of inmates and the public in the courthouse. So uh, it's a big, big price uh, point. But one of the things we have going for us is the state has authorized us to um, basically uh, have the courthouse be eligible for matching funds from the state up to a certain amount for what's eligible for those funds. And we've already gotten some of that funding from the state in the tune of about $6.4 million, which is helping with the purchase of the property and some of those pre-engineering studies that we're doing right now. But the state is also um, currently budgeting for, and we, we made the request for an additional um, 87 million for a total of about $94 million in state support. So the actual cost to Lane County taxpayers is going to be a little over 150 million, about 158 million, I think, which if we bond that um, as it, over time for the entire county's tax base, gets to about 29 cents per thousand of assessed value. Now, to put that in a little bit in perspective, 4J's recent bond was for 66 cents per thousand of assessed value. And I just, you know, that just, just for perspective, it's not really a lot of money and it will allow us to take advantage of that state funding because there has to be a local match to the state funding. So we, we have the ability to get the state to pay for almost $100 million of the cost of a $250 million courthouse, so about 40%. And we're going to do it for a tax rate that's roughly about 40% of what 4J just got approved uh, in their, their big bond measure, which was actually for over $350 million. So... Um, I think it's, you know, uh, really a, kind of an exciting project coming to Lane County. So, Robin, I see we got a call on caller on the line. Are they wanting to come on the show or are they um, just? No, I think they're just, they're just listening. Okay. Thank you. I just want to make sure that was clear because I didn't see a question mark there, but I just want to double check. So, uh, at, as we look at the courthouse, um, you know, it's pretty exciting to me. It's kind of a, a, almost a once-in-a-lifetime possibility here. State matching funds are 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 basically uh, use it or lose it. If we if we don't take advantage of them, they won't be there. And we're kind of come up to our turn in line for those funds from the state. Um, there were a couple counties that were ahead of us. One of them actually failed to get their local match, and they've lost their that that, that funds from the state. And they're, they're going to have to reapply if they ever do find a local match to it. And that was Tillamook County failed failed to match the state funds. Uh, Multnomah County is, is almost finished construction of their courthouse that they use the state matching funds for. And we've got Clackamas County right behind us uh, wanting to build their courthouse and Lynn County is following right on their heels. And so... courthouses because there's a lot of aging courthouses in the state it's one of the reasons why the legislature decided to leverage state funding to reconstruct these courthouses or replace them and um, we've just got this opportunity here in Lane County to take advantage of that program and uh, share that burden of replacing the courthouse across the statewide um, tax base versus just the county uh, and that really is a once-in-a-lifetime happening. And then the, the real thing is it looks like we're going to have to ask the voters this May for whether they want to support that or not. Still have to go through some steps at board level to actually place something on the ballot. Uh, so we, we actually authorized staff to start doing the background work for that uh, yesterday because if we can actually go out in May to the voters and if they approve it, that will demonstrate to the legislature who will be in session at that time that we have the local match and hopefully that will also uh, get them to approve the, the state match uh, bonds. 
And one of the things we're planning to do if we do put it on the ballot is to put language into that ballot measure that says we will not actually sell the bonds under this measure if the state hasn't approved the matching bonds as, as you know, per that um, the Oregon uh, court uh, facilities uh, program that they have. Uh, so that's, you know, the safeguard. We don't, we don't want to do that. Um, we want folks to know that just like, you know, when we, we did the jail levy and it was very specific, the funds were put in a separate uh, account and everything. So, <clears throat> and then audited annually. Um, we want to be just as careful with this bonding for the courthouse that you guys can clearly see we're not going to, you know, do the bonds unless we have the state match. And then we're going to be very careful that we can show the accounting for the bonding and, and uh, that there's no um, craziness in the way we, we um, do this, this courthouse project. We want to be very open and transparent about it. It's one of the reasons why we were so careful about not advertising a cost number until we could talk about the cost of the entire project versus just the, the building cost or some per square foot estimate. We wanted to know <clears throat> all in, how much is this project gonna cost to build it to this particular set of standards and specifications as recommended by national experts on that specific site in the city of Eugene. And we've developed that cost estimate with contingency uh, fund, funding in there for, you know, cost, you know, if bids come in high on something or, um, you know, we don't anticipate something, there's contingency built into that. So we're actually hoping that the cost will come out lower than the number that came out yesterday in the news. So kind of excited about that project because I don't know if any of you have served on a jury or actually been in a trial or had to deal with our current court facility. It's kind of a mess. Um, everything from if you've had to serve on a jury, you know that you go to jury assembly, not in the courthouse, you actually come to jury assembly in the county office building, which is sort of adjacent to the courthouse and looks like it's part of the building, but it's actually a separate building. And it's a half floor off of the courthouse. So that there's no easy way to walk from jury assembly into the courthouse without using stairs, which means we have to take people outside and around our building on a handicap ramp to get back into the courthouse from jury assembly. <laughs> and, and obviously the question is, is why is jury assembly in the county office building? Because there's not enough room in the courthouse to have jury assembly in the courthouse, which also means jury assembly starts outside of security, which then means whenever we're moving large pools of jurors in for a trial that needs a large pool to choose from, we've got to take all those people at once through the security line. And I don't know if any of you have ever showed up to just try and go in and pay a parking ticket when there's been a long line that's doubled around of jurors trying to get through to go in for uh, inter being interviewed by the uh, prosecuting and defense attorneys um, as they pick jury pools. It can be uh, rather frustrating to come in and stand uh, in a 20 to 30 minute line behind all those jurors just because you wanted to get up to the cashier and pay a park, pay a, a, a speeding ticket or something like that. So, uh, you know, that's just one of the problems with the current courthouse that would be resolved with this, where jury assembly would actually be inside the security perimeter. So you wouldn't have to move those people in and out of the secure perimeter. Uh, you know, they would go through one at a time, uh, spaced out usually before, you know, the cashiers even open so you wouldn't get stuck behind them at all um, if you're coming in to pay your speeding ticket. Uh, so, you know, it's just, there's all sorts of things about the current courthouse that, that, that would be resolved in this new court facility. Not to mention our DA's office is bursting at the seams in that building right now. In fact, we've got our family law folks are leasing space in another office building here in downtown. 
So it would actually save annual rent costs to move the entire DA staff into one office situation. And the current DA staff, um, they've got four investigators that actually share one single workstation. They, ha they can't all be in the office at the same time working. <laughs> so just things like that that go on because there's such a lack of space in the, in the current courthouse for what we need, let alone if we ever um, start funding some of the aspects of our public safety system back up to what they used to be, we're going to need more DA staff. To, you know, that they're still well below what they were historically. We're going to need more space for the sheriff's department because, you know, they're well below what they were on the police services side, which is more connected with the courthouse side, not the jail building. So um, just all sorts of needs, needs for space there. And just having the, all the various um, entities within close proximity of each other um, really is important in, in helping people navigate um, the justice system. Being able to walk through the lobby of the courthouse and having the um, legal aid folks right there off the lobby you know, for folks that are coming in and really needing help, you know, in, in navigating the legal system, you know, to have it easy, easy to get into and, and, and friendly because, you know, most people walk in the courthouse are not walking in there um, non-stressed and, and having it just hard to get into and find where you're going and all that is just really difficult and people are under stress. And the current courthouse squeezes all those people together. There's no separation of opposing parties out in the lobby areas. They're taking, they get intermixed. When they get into the courtroom, the courtrooms are so cramped that those opposing parties are on top of each other. It's a recipe for things to happen that shouldn't happen. And the new courthouse will resolve issues like that, not to mention just having separate uh, secure movement of inmates where they're not mixed with the public. Right now, inmates walk across the the public um, lobby to get from the transport elevator into the courtrooms. You know, right past victims, right past potential witnesses, past potential jurors. You know, it's just it's a bad situation and not a good way to um, have a fair and impartial justice system. So really looking forward to a new courthouse if we can get the voters to support um, the bond measure. Twenty nine cents per thousand assessed value well below the sixty six percent per thousand of assessed value that the um, 4J bonds were this last November that got approved with a 66% yes vote. So I'm hoping um, we can see similar support for the courthouse um, as it serves all the citizens of Lane County and, and just in expanding that access to justice with the additional courtroom space that'll help avoid delays in scheduling courtrooms uh, so that, you know, folks get speedier access to justice, um, which, you know, slow justice is no justice in a lot of ways. So, uh, so many things that will improve with a new facility. So that's kind of the camping and courthouse side of yesterday's uh, Board of Commissioners meeting. We still got about six minutes left on the Bo's Nose Show. If you want to jump in, chime in on the show, it's uh, Six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven. Just press one. Lets us know you want to get on the show. And we haven't even touched on some other things we did at, at the board of commissioners meeting yesterday. Like we approved um, signing of the final leases with uh, the OB folks on the market district down there, and also some final documents with uh, Homes for Good about the market district that will ultimately make that market district plan that we started out on. Um, taking proposals back in 2013 of some property that the county owns there along 6th Avenue, where they're going to expand the 5th Street market across Pearl into that block. 
There's going to be additional retail there, some covered uh, public space that's part of that retail, a market rate, um, I think it's 12-story apartment uh, condo complex, and a new uh, hotel on that block. And across the street uh, there on Oak and Six, there's going to be a new um, workforce housing project, low, you know, low under market housing for workforce housing with some retail space on the first floor going to be changing downtown quite a bit there where we get those residents living in downtown haven't even had a chance to talk about that yet but i want to stop for a minute and i want to give robin a chance to chime in here because she brought to my attention what what i think is this week's winner of the what were they thinking award yeah. So, Robin, you want to kind of, kind of give give out your what were they thinking award for the week? Um, remind me which one that was again. I've got a lot, a lot of them. I think it it was one of those ones where you had that 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 um, the the text and something. Oh, yeah. Text. yeah, I sent you a text, and uh, by the way, here's another ten cents to the government for that text. Yes, yes. The text tax in California. Yeah. What are they thinking? I mean, nowadays, most people get texting basically unlimited for free with their phones. So they don't even think about how many texts they send. Um, and it's become the new way of communicating. In fact, most millennials don't want you to leave them a voicemail. They'd rather have you text them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I love it. If I'm busy or in the middle of something, I can get a short message that doesn't require immediate response. And otherwise, I'd rather prefer the old-fashioned call them on the phone. Or it's like George Carlin used to say, they have technology now that you can talk to the phone, it'll text, and then it can read it back to you. And he goes, why don't they just pick up the phone and call somebody? But <laughs> texting or taxing a text, just another outreach of how much, what else, well, like carbon tax. You know, they say that they find a way to tax the air you breathe. Well, congratulations, they did. Yes, yes. And now they're actually going to tax the text you send through the air we breathe. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So what were you thinking, California, in trying to tax text? Of course, they they have a small problem with the federal government saying that that's not legal. Um, so they've got to resolve that, too. But really, it amazes me what people will think of next to raise revenues. Well, I got a quickie for you. Sure. Um, every tax year, the same argument that comes up every time about the kicker. And again, there's another bill proposed to uh, reroute the kicker back to the schools for quote unquote um, stable funding, which, what was it, 56, 57 or something like that that's supposed to be the cure all and fell through? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the great rainy day fund that they keep talking about. Yeah. It, it amazes me that we, we're still trying to plug a hole in the school system and not addressing the elephant in the room. You know, I wonder if that stuff that they used on that, on that commercial where this guy takes a screen and puts it on the bottom of his rowboat and it takes care of the leak. I wonder if that would work. Um, oh yeah. I, I've seen that ad. I don't know if that would work because the leak in this case is bigger than the boat. <laughs> yeah. You know, because because the unfunded liability of PERS in the future is going to suck every education dollar out of our system if we don't deal with that unfunded liability and the growth in that. So, um, yeah, it amazes me that, you know, the kicker, quote, rainy day fund, it's like that's going to get sucked up in the PERS black hole also. Yeah. Kind of hard to put that 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 spray stuff down on a black hole. <laughs> well, I can think of other, other places. Anyways. Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah. So the what were they thinking? Kind of goes to the the tax tech the tax tax in California, and maybe even the uh, the kicker uh, rainy day fund sweep up that that they're thinking of doing. So we we're just about out of time here on the Bose Nose Show because I'm looking at the clock, and I want to thank everybody for listening this week. We'll be back next week because. I don't take a vacation. You're a commissioner all year round when you're a commissioner. 
No, I'll be back live. No guest hosts or anything next week. And we'll talk about stuff. But I might have a Christmas present for you. So I'll be giving that out maybe next week. Can I leave it a mystery? Thanks for listening. Have a great week.